Hi there, this is Thomas on the Rametown Riot here with Bobby and Rametown, of course. And we have a new episode for you today with a lot of different topics from the NCAA tournament as well as NBA, and we'll get into some other stuff. But what I want to start with today is a personal story. Um, I feel a little bit like Cleveland today, and just getting into it right here is, uh, well, I gave up drinking alcohol for all of Lent. And, How uh, long is Lent for? Lent is over 40 days. I thought it was just 40, but anyway, it came out to 40, 47 days, no alcohol. And uh, I was pretty excited to finally devour some alcohol. And I wake up this morning, and this bottle of wine I had been saving the whole time had been drinking by Bobby here, my roommate. <laughs> so um, just like Cleveland, <laughs> expecting this great thing to happen after... Um, me, in the case of 47 days, but Cleveland thinking they got LeBron back to win a championship. Um, just not going to happen. But, uh, so, so this wine was going to win you a championship. Well, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that's, that's the connection I'm making here. Um, so I'm LeBron James. Yeah, yeah Bobby's LeBron. <laughs> I'm the LeBron James of roommates. <laughs> and uh, just, just a side note here. Due to that bottle of wine, Bobby's a bit hungover today, so don't. Just be easy on it. Um, <laughs> so, <clears throat> we're going to start off here with a topic on the NCAA tournament. Uh, during the North Carolina Notre Dame game the other day, uh, North Carolina star player Bryce Johnson got a technical foul. I don't know if you guys saw this, for kind of tossing the ball away from the ref. Um, and in the whole scheme of things, it kind of seems like what he did isn't nearly as bad as what coaches do. Like, coaches are screaming profanity and all sorts of stuff at him. Uh, Raintown here is a former college athlete. Maybe he can offer um, some wisdom on that. Do you, do you feel like coaches get away with more than the players do? Uh, well, one thing, I've, I'm in football, so it's a little different. However, the technical foul is for delaying the game. So when he throws, doesn't throw it to the ref, it delays the game to the fact that Notre Dame cannot get the ball up the court as fast as possible and allows UNC to set up their defense. So it gives them an on-the-court advantage. That's true. Which makes, I think, quite a bit of difference. Okay, that's In the true. NBA, you see it a lot, and you get the delay of game penalties, but you have to get two delay of game penalties to actually shoot a free throw for a technical foul. So that's the difference between college and NBA. So... But I also feel like the coaches definitely get away with more in general than players, which I feel like is rightfully so. It usually happens that way. Usually you have your captain of your team and your coach get away with more things than other players because they have built up the respect of the referees and ultimately that way that it just kind of works. That just kind of sports in general work. It almost seems like, though, that the players are like held at a higher standard. Like They can say less and get a technical than a coach can say. Coaches, like, I'm not, I've never been on a D1 college sideline, but I imagine, like, the yelling is pretty extreme. Um, the use of profanity can be, at times anyway, pretty extreme. Yeah, of and, course. Yeah, yeah it's, it is it is extreme, but I think the refs subject the coaches with more respect, and they do hold the players to a higher standard. Because one thing, when they're screaming at a ref, usually it's a lot more visible Correct. To the fans and to all of that. When the coaches, usually they're on the side of the camera, right? So you don't see them as well. Mm -hmm. And 
the coaches know the refs well, and it usually, I feel like there is more respect that I, way. I, I think it's definitely a respect thing. I think when we're talking about, like, if you're a referee, you're not going to be able to deal with uh, every player that comes on the court yelling his opinion at you. Like, you got to draw the line somewhere. you got to say, I'm done with this. this is a, you can't talk to me. This is a technical, whatever it is. Like, you... I mean, even Bryce Johnson, I guess he didn't really say anything. He just delayed the game. But you can't deal with shenanigans from players because there's so many of them, and the game will get out of control quickly. Whereas, uh, I mean, coaches get technicals all the time too, but I feel like it's just like – They have more leniency, though. No, right? definitely. That's a fair definitely. point. I mean, these players are 18 to 21, 22 years old, and I almost feel like they're expecting them to be – more mature. Yeah, well, there's, yeah. like, Bobby said, yeah. there's a lot more yeah. of them, too. There's that's so true. many players compared to one coach, right? So that's a big difference. And then one thing with football that I definitely went through is if they if the refs are seeing a high scrutiny from the players, they'll ask for the captain on the field because the coach is so far away, the captain on the field to take care of it, to handle his, his teammates. Mm-hmm. And so that's when the captain will someone get more leniency to be able to talk to the ref over the other players. Let me ask you, Matt, when you were at, uh, who was your defensive captain for your senior team? I was probably a mix. It was me and Dallas Boloma, and then the D-line, we had a couple in between Reggie and Ugo. Yeah, so so in football, there's always, there's multiple captains. Like, what, how many, six? It just depends. Like, if you get voted on round three, they go off the coin toss. Uh But then a lot of times you have it broken down. Based on what positions, but like the D line has a captain, the linebackers have a captain, and the DBs have a captain, right? Because you you got to communicate. One thing about football is you have to communicate the entire time. Uh huh. So it's a little bit different that way. But you have one main focus of a captain, especially if a team is together for a long time. But uh, you'll have more than you'll say in the NBA for sure. So an interesting point I would say on on Thomas's uh, topic is that that these are amateurs, and you're right, they're 18, 19, 20 years old, and they are expected to be held, I mean, at a higher standard. They they get away with less. They have to conduct themselves better than these millionaire men that are usually in their 40s and 50s, so that have been professionals for a long time. I mean, what what was the thing Coach Krzyzewski just got in trouble for? Yeah, was that, was, like, that was the other topic I was going to get into. So we'll transition now to the uh, Duke-Oregon game. And as we saw, Oregon came away with a comfortable win. Um, one of Oregon's players... Hit, Booker. His name's Booker. Booker hit a, hit a three, a, a deep three. Um, and... Two seconds left yeah, in the shot clock with like 12 seconds left in the game. Right, right. So he, he shot it rather than holding the ball and getting a shot clock violation. He celebrated um, and like celebrated towards the Duke bench. Coach K did not like that. Coach K apparently in the line uh, of handshakes afterwards said, you're better than that basically, that you shouldn't, you're too good to be celebrating like that. Um, and I don't, what do you guys think? Do you think Coach K should, has the, uh, like, is he have the respect that? I have no problem. Like I have no problem with Coach K okay. said. I think Coach K was giving the kid a compliment in a lot of forms, right? He was giving a compliment saying, you're a really good player. You don't have to celebrate like that. However, I do understand where the player's coming from by being so excited. I mean, it's the biggest game of his life. Mm-hmm. And he just beat Duke. I mean, Duke's a historic powerhouse team. He grew up as a kid wanting to beat Duke, right? So you understand his excitement and the shot he took. Two seconds left in the shot. Like it, was a, it was like a Steph Curry three. It was really deep. So it wasn't like he was trying to showboat. Right. And then uh, 
Yeah, the only problem I have with it was that Coach K denied it first after the game. If he would have just came out saying right away he said it, mm-hmm. then there was no problem at all. Right. But he denied it. That's what by the controversy. I'd like I'd like to make a point real quick. Steph Curry did not invent the deep three. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I feel like I feel like anytime anybody hits a shot that's beyond like a couple feet beyond the three point line, now it's like oh, there's Steph Curry. They're, they're trying to do the Steph Curry shot. But Jimmer Fredette did do he, that. Yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't. I'm not sure who did it first. <laughs> I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure guys have been making deep basketball shots for a long time. Maybe Pistol Pete Maravich or uh, I don't know. I mean, Pistol is not shooting at Curry's range right now. But anyway, that's all the point. Yeah. So on on the coach Shashevsky, um, I mean, you have, to, you have to remember, like you are talking about one of the most competitive individuals in sports. Like Coach Shashevsky is a competitive. Uh, I don't know what, what would be a good word for that. Competitive beast. It's savant. Some type of thing. But he was probably caught up, caught up a little bit in the moment. But it also right. sounds like, from what he's saying, I mean, this this man's a role model for a lot of these kids, and uh, he might. It sounds like he wasn't being disrespectful to Booker. He, he sounds like he appreciated his skills and thought that he could pass on a little bit of wisdom to him. And uh, the way Booker took it, I mean, he Booker took it as criticism, I guess, and it might have come aco- across as criticism. No, Booker took the opposite. Of that Booker said he took in the comments and respects Coach K's opinion. So, uh, so, so if that if that's the case, I don't even see where so, there's a controversy. Yeah. Here. So is is it just Coach that, K denied it? Well, is that the only thing that was wrong? <laughs> Other than Coach K lying in the press conference afterwards, I mean, this guy can Booker can be excited. Coach K can criticize him. No one's wrong in that respect. The wrong was it just brought up a whole other topic? Like, was it a ridiculous shot? Should he have said that to the guy? One big thing that other coaches were saying. It's like a big thing. It was on ESPN Radio this morning. I don't remember which coach was talking, but they had all these people they're interviewing, and they said that it's almost a thing among coaches. You don't coach the other players. Mm-hmm. If you're a D1 coach, you don't coach your other team's players ever. I don't care who you are. Yeah, It's just part of the fraternity. That's what they do. And so that was one big thing the coaches were talking about. That was one of the deals that way. And secondly, does Coach K have the right to even say something like that? And that was another thing. And then he li- my big thing was he lied. So there's just a couple ways you can look at it. I'm lying. Okay. We're back on the same topic we visited last week about uh, lying, Rich just telling the truth. I feel like if there wasn't a change in story between this, the player's story and Coach K's story, we wouldn't even be having a conversation here. Okay. Um, obviously, he's just caught up in the heat of the moment. I'm not sure why he lied. It kind of seems like a lot of these high-profile people he came out the next day. Think they can come out and lie about stuff to avoid a controversy. Yep. Okay. Interesting stuff to t- start the show. We are going to go to a quick break and let our sponsors um, talk a bit, and we will be back soon. All right. I hope you enjoyed all our sponsors. We're kind of getting nailed with a bunch of them, so we got to make sure we give that to you. Had to turn down so many offers. Yeah, it's been ruthless. But anyway, let's get back to some sports here. So this weekend was obviously a huge weekend, Final Four weekend. Um, we had the four teams that made it, and we have a 10 seed there. Syracuse made it, which I think is really interesting because they were one of the most rebuttal teams to make the tournament. Uh, I remember Mike Greenberg or Mike and Mike was pissed that Syracuse made it um, over Monmouth. And look at them, now they're in the Final Four. Very highly criticized. But I, I, I think it's interesting that, of course, it, if there was any 10 seed, of course it's the Blue Blood 10 seed that makes it. Doesn't it seem like these same programs, like 
UConn won two champions recently as pretty high seeds, mm-hmm. but it, it wasn't any other high seed. It was this UConn team. It was this UConn program. Kentucky made the finals with an eight seed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was so. I mean, even when these bigger, renowned programs seem to get these lower seeds, it's still maybe their culture, culture and coaching, and coaching that that allows them to move on. Yeah, it didn't seem like that zone is just tearing people apart. Like I don't know if I feel like somehow yeah. they run the two three zone to perfection and teams always have trouble with it year after year. Mm-hmm. Teams don't even shoot threes against that two three zone. Usually, if somebody runs a two three zone, threes are where you want to attack it. Yeah, but they're so good at extending their zone, they don't even make threes off of it. That is what they do, and it seems like yeah, they're they're just so good with active movement in their active zone hands, between yeah. like. Closing in if the ball gets into the paint and then getting out on shooters quickly and uh, reading, working together as a unit. It's a great team. Really long team. Yeah, one thing with Syracuse always, this year. Always tons yeah. of length on that team. Syracuse this year struggled offensively the most. They had, they had won some serious shooting slumps. The big games they won this year going into the tournament before that were all because they shot well. Cause they, they're not a great shooting team, but they got hot in his la- down this tournament now. Now they looked really good. They were shooting lights out. Um, this weekend. So I think that's really interesting that they just caught fire and with a good defense and a good scheme and a Hall of Fame coach. I mean, I feel like we all knew that before the tournament started that this was just a year where it's wide open. Mm-hmm. And if one team gets hot, they could really make a run at the national. I mean, that that's true every year. We've had, uh, I'm not sure what the UConn sees were when they won the national championship. UConn was eight. Eight with Shabazz Napier. Mm-hmm. And then what was the, what were Kemba. they with Kemba? Maybe a four seed? I don't remember, but uh, yeah, they I, were higher than eight. I know that. Yeah, but it's it's just one of these things where it's uh, the last five games of the season, four, whatever it is, six games, I guess, is the tournament. Yeah, but it's the last six games of the season, and whoever's hot and whoever brings it is ready to win and perform big time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they uh, – very interesting. I mean, they beat on Sunday. They came back. Against Virginia, a number one seed who a lot of people have picked, and it was actually Vegas's favorite going into the Saturday-Sunday really? games. They were Vegas's favorite to win the title. And I thought that was really interesting. And the fact that Virginia had a 17-point lead is yeah. remarkable. I mean, Syracuse went on a 25-4 to run in the second half mm-hmm. against a solid team. Solid team. And I... The fact that Virginia did not take any... I will only criticism I have on Virginia. They didn't take any timeouts on a lot of them. I thought they should have taken more timeouts when Syracuse was just had all the momentum in every form. And they were pressuring them full court. And Virginia's not taking these timeouts. Mm-hmm. But either you got to give it to Syracuse. They were shooting well, and they, they look really So spirited. we've been calling people out. We called out the coach of Virginia... Called out Mike Greenberg with his bad Syracuse prediction. <laughs> Called out Coach K a little bit. Coach K the a line. little bit. Wow. We got anyone yeah. we got respect for? Or we just think. <laughs> I've called Bobby out already today about his drinking of my alcohol. So. And I would say I'm probably on the same level as Coach K. Comes to me. Yeah. So, so Syracuse. Um, do either of you see any chance? Of them beating North Carolina. They played them twice this year. Lost both times. 84-73 was one of the games. And a closer one, 75-70. A couple interesting stats. North Carolina, real quick. They have one of the best offensive rebounding percentages in the nation. They offensively rebound 40% of their shots. 
Wow. But they are also Ridiculous. the worst three-point shooting team in the ACC. Wow. Which is really weird. When you have yeah. Marcus Page, you would never guess that. Right. But Well, he was out part of the season, too. Okay. But but that being said, it could just... <coughs> I mean, maybe it could just be one of these things where the zone forces them to shoot threes and it's just not their day. I think that's, that's the one matchup that could cause a lot of problems because UNC dominates... Dominates down low against every team this tournament. It hasn't even close. They Meeks is an animal and Bryce Johnson is an animal. They bully people. They just bully people around. But one thing about 2 zone is boxing out seems to be hard because you're in a zone, yeah. right? Yeah. So I wonder how that effect's going to have on That's it. That's true. Might be hard. Yeah, they might yeah, just have two, a field day offensively rebounding against them. But then again, it's Syracuse's zone. Maybe they have, they have one answer that no other coach yeah. has is and they yeah. can actually box you a lot in a 2-3 zone. Interesting matchup for sure. But when you say that, I would do you say, think they have a chance? I think, yeah. I think any team, it's the NCAA tournament, any team has there, a chance. 40 minutes, two 20-minute yeah. halves, whoever's up at the end of the game. I mean, that, that defense, I think, already shown they're surprising people. I don't know if, if uh, Syracuse did make the national championship game. What is the lowest seed entering the tournament that ever... Do you have any idea? Championship game? Ooh. Yeah, that ever made That's it to the question. national championship. I mean, George Mason was a 12 in the final four. four, four yeah. in the final four, but they didn't get there. Like we just said, UConn was an eight. They might be around. They might be the highest, yeah. Yeah, so that would be pretty impressive. Um, while Thomas is looking that up, I want to transition to one of our favorite podcast topics. A certain Buddy Heald. Oh, money. He was ridiculous. Money he made yeah. eight threes and had 37 points. Was it, he had, which game was it where he had like 27 second half points? That was... The coach subbed him out in the first half. That was the first game. Out. That was the Sweet 16. The, or, the Sweet 16 game. Yeah. And, and yeah, he was ridiculous in the second half. He took over the whole game. Yeah, he looks like a man among the boys out there. He's uh, pretty impressive. He's hitting some deep threes, Jimmy Fredette style. Step back Pete off Maravich the dribble style. threes. Yeah, he's, he looks Steph really good. Curry. Well, I mean, he's not nearly the ball handler like Curry is. No way. But he's he's by far the best shooter in college basketball right now. And he's playing at such a high level. He hit eight threes in the Elite Eight game. Don't you think it's nuts when a guy can be such a good shooter and just have a really unorthodox form? Do you think like, he has an unorthodox form? Oh, it definitely is. He shoots he kind of He kind of brings it from his from the left side of his head, I feel like. And a, like a cr- across, you guys probably know, but I thought it would look pretty good, but I haven't seen it in slow mo. I don't know. What I mean, you guys I mean, seen. so 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 many of these great shooters, it's just like textbook. When you look at JJ Reddick's form, Jimmer Fredette's form, Clay Steph Thompson. Curry's form, Clay Thompson's form, everybody, Ray Allen. Honestly, a good example of a great shooter who didn't have orthodox form was Reggie Miller. Reggie Miller, kind of, uh, yeah, odd grip on the ball, but. But the the point I'm making is it's like it's just incredible to me that these guys they grow up and they get so good, so good at doing it completely different than everyone else has ever done it. Mm-hmm. Sean Marion. Sean Marion's yeah, the guy Sean I was Marion's thinking of. He even shot his ever. free throws like a chess pass. Yeah. yeah, it's so strange. It's like I think he shot over forty percent in a three during the regular season too. Like, <laughs> I wonder if he ever had a coach. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> like, like when I when I was a kid, Can I, you I was. Can go to Arizona? Pretty sure you went to University of Arizona. I think it was maybe when your shot is that off, like they just don't even mess with it. They're just like, okay. Uh, Kevin know, Martin has a ridiculous changes. shot too. He shoots so far out, and he's a money shooter. Shoots it from in front of him, doesn't? Yeah. He? How does that not get in blocked? front of his face? Yeah. It's anyway, quick. anyway, it's quick. It's pretty. It's pretty remarkable. But yeah, I think Buddy Hill 
this tournament has been by far he's been the best player in college basketball this season and he's gonna be the best player this whole tournament. Um just to see can they beat Villanova though. Villanova is playing lights out. They beat the number one seed overall seed in Kansas. And I'm rooting for him big time. He older Villanova. Oklahoma. Okay. Same here. Oh, well, yeah, I, I feel like, like I feel like that's a I'm gonna go for Villanova story. I think it's awesome too, but well, Jay Wright I think is a field goal story. It, next week if it turns out Oklahoma won. We're going to call Jesse Paulson. Yeah. Get him on the podcast. Former uh, Oklahoma and, uh, athlete. You'll have to explain to him how you were going for Villanova against well, his alma well, well, mater. Town thinks uh, Jay Wright's very handsome and dresses well. So He's a very well-kept man. Yeah. yeah. I never used the word handsome before, but he's a very well-kept man. <laughs> okay. He's well-kept, I guess. That's a, that's a, that's a very well, good... Uh, they like, never win, so that's why I was... They always had so much... Bad luck, and I really liked them back when they had Foy and Allen. This was a long time ago, so I've rooted Lowry. for them. Yeah, Lowry yeah. and Foy, That's and Allen was team. their shooter. Yeah. Allen yeah. was their shooting guard, and I always liked them back then. And then they were really well. They beat the Lobos actually that year, which is really frustrating for me. <laughs> but uh, they were really good, but they never took that step. Had and a then, lot of letdowns recently. Yeah, they had tons Otto of letdowns. Porter season. Otto Porter, I think he was was he the national player of the year. Uh, he's just doing everything for them. They were a two seed. I think they lost in the first round. I, I don't did he go to Villanova? Georgetown? I think to Georgetown. Georgetown is it? Yeah, he went no, to Georgetown. Sorry, guys, yeah. <laughs> okay. It's our Bobby's hungover, guys. <laughs> now we are now we are going to our interesting statistic of the day. It is March Madness theme. So theoretically, a player um foreseeably in the NCAA tournament. Sean Marion, by the way, went to UNLV, not Arizona. But a, a player um in the NCAA tournament, foreseeably, if they were to stay from freshman to senior year could play in 24 tournament games, correct? Mm-hmm. Six games a year. Um, and there was one player who played in 23. Dang. You guys know who that might be? How far back is this? Early 90s. Do you even... I, I can't keep... Leitner. Okay, Leitner. Yep. 23. And Here you go, Bob. Woo! Who's hung over now? <laughs> <laughs> I, I nailed it. Yeah, 23 NCAA That's uh, tournament games for Leitner, yeah. So we, uh, they lost, I believe, his, um, they made it to the Final Four his freshman year, lost in the, the semifinals the next year, then won two straight. That'd be 22. Oh, oh, no, he, he lost in the, uh, what would it be, the National Championship. National Championship, yeah. yeah. So isn't it, this is a discussion I was having with my little brother earlier, and we were like, man, I can't believe Hansborough is one of the best college basketball players of all time. He's just he's just dominated college basketball for four years. Um, ends up being a subpar pro, just mediocre. Barely a role player. Mediocre backup power forward, maybe below average backup power forward. And I think we're looking at a similar thing with like Christian Leitner. This guy is another one, maybe a top ten college basketball player oh, of all time. Definitely. He gets to be on the dream team mm-hmm. with... Uh, Every other member of that team is a Hall of Famer now. And later. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, yeah, like, it's it's ridiculous, the uh, discrepancy between, like, right. the amount of success these guys are having. Yeah. In college to the pros yeah. is a huge transition. Well, Jimmer Fredette, one of the, I mean, Jimmer, yeah, Jimmer. all-time greatest scorers in college basketball history. And look at Jimmer in the D League, he's dominating. Yeah. And that just shows you how Yeah, even going from the NBA D League, so the next step above college to the NBA, Jimmer Fredette is still dominating, averaging over twenty five points a game. 
Then he goes to the NBA and he's still... If Jimmer could jump in a time machine and go to the NBA five years from now, I think he's a starting guard in the NBA. You can improve his defense in five years? No. He's the exact same person he is right now. Bobby has a theory of what's going to happen. I have a a theory about basketball. basketball. I think within ten years, there will not be hardly any players, hardly any, maybe five, six players in the league that don't shoot three-pointers. And, I will disagree with that. And if you're one of the best three-point shooters, that's look at the trends. Look, look at the trends. It's like if it's going straight up. The amount of threes being shot every year. Ten years ago, there wasn't such a thing as stretch fours. There was like Dirk Nowitzki. Now there's stretch fives, stretch fours on literally every team. No, I agree. The trend is going that way, but you're making a ridiculously bold statement. Three to four players in the league that can't shoot threes? Are you kidding me? Dwight Flower, Howard can't even shoot a free throw. He's going to be one of John those like, three or four guys. John Jay Jordan's going to still be in the league. Those are going to be the only types of guys that He's get to be in the league. He's made four baskets but... all year that have last like six feet. All right, name me ten guys right now that can't shoot threes. Wow, ten guys? That's a lot of people. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> right. Are we really going to do this? Go yeah, after the Okay, all Dwight right. Howard, DeAndre Jordan. JaVale McGee. JaVale McGee, yeah, for sure. Drummond. Andre Drummond, yeah. Let's just get all these really big centers. These are the only guys that are going to get to be in the league in 10 years. These huge defensive presence centers that are dominant rebounders. These are the only guys that are going to get to be in the league in 10 years if they don't know how to shoot. Everyone else is going to know how Okafor. to shoot. You're going to, yeah, you're going to have you're going to have five or six centers really? that can't that can't yeah. shoot. The Philadelphia 76ers. All, all three all three centers <laughs> on the Sixers. Minnesota Timberwolves. Carl Anthony Towns can shoot. He can shoot. Levine can shoot. But besides that, Wiggins is awful. It's going to change, Ruby man. I'm telling, I'm telling you. The players, not, I mean, the players okay. now, kids right now that are 14 years Just, old, are probably shooting in, incredibly more three points. Well, three I agree. Point shots. You, the trend is going that way. I'm not going to say it's the bold statements you are saying, but the trend is definitely going that way. Well, it wouldn't be a bold statement if you're going to agree with me. But I think I think that's the way it's going to go. I think eventually, and I, and I, I feel like players like Doug McDermott, Jimmer Fredette, um, just uh, Brandon Jennings, guys that can just get up shots from from three point. Eventually, Brandon those. Jennings. Yeah, Brandon Jen- Brandon Jennings can hit shots. I was just trying to think of some guy that. You're gonna compare McDermott and. I was trying to think of some guy that Jim wasn't white, really honestly. I'm not even trying to think of the ratio, but the two guys that can really shoot, can Brandon Jennings because can somewhat shoot. He's okay. Anyway, keep going. Okay, so so <laughs> so my my point is. These Steph Curry is going to be the model for what teams are trying to look for, for from their offense in the NBA. They're, they're going to be, they're going to be looking for guys that take that that can take a lot of threes and get them up there. So I can't look get at, over the fact that you're trying to throw Brennan Jennings in there because you don't want to be racial. racial? <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> you just picked some random guy. It seems like just because I was black, trying to think of any black guy, but I couldn't think of him. Okay. <laughs> Damian Lillard. There, there, there you go. go. But he's already there. He's already there. He's not one of the guys that's, that's being uh, ruled. Like, Portland's already following their model. They drafted C.J. McCollum thinking, like, we're going to have these two guys that can generate a lot of offense and shoot a lot of shots from outside. Just looking at the I mean, statistics they here. All right, I, obviously, the Warriors are the best shooting team, and they're also taking the most. They're taking... Um, 31 a game? Is yeah. That, oh, my right. God. So that's that's how many they're taking a game. Milwaukee is in last place. <laughs> what a guess. Not that. a good team. Uh, 
and they're taking 15 a game. Mm-hmm. Um, so looking last year, so we have two teams taking over 30 in Houston and Golden State, a couple taking 29 this year. Um, last year we had only Houston taking over 30. So, I mean, as what was Golden State at last year? Um, Golden State was in fourth place at 27 a game. So, I mean, they're, they're obviously, as Bobby said, the tr- using the trend, the analytics, and it's rapidly increasing. That's a, that's a, I mean, a pretty significant increase. Well, Houston is hardcore in basketball analytics. Yeah. I, w- I think the biggest way to look at this stat is just look at the overall NBA average, a number of threes per game over the next five years. Early 2000s, I was a huge basketball fan. You know, I'm like 12 years old, whatever. And I'm reading basketball magazines every day. Play, they're ripping the Boston Celtics, just trying to tear them apart for how many threes Paul Pierce and Antoine Walker are shooting. Like each one of them shot 200 some threes that year, and they're just saying like, "This is ridiculous, inefficient basketball." I can't believe they're shooting these. It's a, and then it turns out they were completely wrong. Yeah. And the 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 trend is like, get the three point shooters out there, have them shoot as many shots as you can. I mean, versatility helps. Because when when you stretch out that you stretch out the floor, got guys dribbling the ball, um, doesn't have to worry about if he if he makes penetration the the help defender coming and closing him because he's got to stay on the shooter. So shooters are just going to be more and more valuable, and they're going they're going to start taking precedence over higher level athletes. People are going to want shooters on the floor. I agree. I think there's just better shooters overall in the NBA today. And kids are getting yeah, kids like, are getting better at shooting. shooting all the much time. better. It's an emphasis. People want to be able to shoot threes. You're a high school kid. You have the seven-footer still out there shooting threes. Look at Carl Anthony Towns now. Yeah. I feel like 20 years ago, the coach wouldn't even allow him to do so. So there's a lot more freedom between AAU now and those yeah. coaches to allow the seven-footer to even have potential to shoot that. I mean, AAU basketball, youth, youth basketball coaching can be, can be a travesty sometimes because you get, like, talented in, – in Albuquerque, for instance – You'll get like talented players who happen to be six three or something like that, and they never make it out of the post their whole life because you can't get a team that's that's Albuquerque. Well, I mean, it's uh, yeah, that's obviously not going to happen. In Chicago, I think Los the AU, Angeles yeah. or Chicago, something like that. But, but yeah, I get your like, point. I understand your control point. Control free coaches. Okay, well, interesting stuff here. Um, Bobby's not looking so hot. I think he has to go throw up, and we're gonna let our sponsors talk to you again. We will be short, uh, back shortly after a break. All right, we are back on the, uh, the Ramtown Riot. I want to talk a little bit about the Warriors and Steph Curry. It seems as though they, uh, for whatever reason, can get uh, just, they can be as cocky as maybe any team in the history of NBA, but are still, I'd say, loved for the most part. Uh, what do you guys think the reasons are for this? I mean, is it just that Curry is that that good? His style of basketball is that that cool? He's he's so adorable that we just can't dislike him. Riley's adorable. I feel like I feel like cockiness doesn't really weigh into whether or not we like people. I mean, we were talking uh, Muhammad Ali, one of the most one of the most famous athletes of all time. Michael Jordan, one of the most liked athletes of all time. Uh, so Steph Curry's cockiness. I mean, Kobe Bryant, obviously super cocky, and uh, everyone, everyone's crazy about him. So I'm not, I'm not really sure if there's a correlation between 
someone's behavior and their confidence in themselves and their swagger and really whether or not we respond to that as fans. I think what we're actually looking at is more, is this fun? Is this entertaining? And they just look like they're having a great time while they're playing basketball. And it's, it, it's must-see TV. They're so fun to watch. They are literally so much fun to watch. So when Steve Nash won his MVPs, he was so popular because the Suns at that time were incredibly fun to watch. I feel like the Warriors are somewhat are similar, but way better. So they're not losing. So they can be cocky if they don't. If they don't lose, you can always be cocky. Yeah. And I, well, well, what about Cam Newton? He got ripped this year for being cocky. Talk about polarizing. He was a polarizing player because some people love him, and I don't understand why people hate him in any form because he's extremely cocky, but he wins and he plays so hard. Um, he's great. People right. get mad at him for giving footballs to little kids. I'm like, well, yeah, not, like, not only that, but <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. But for the dancing and for the showboating, yeah. But we're just well, there's I'm different just sports. Talking about, talking we're talking about. about cockiness, but I don't think it's really got to do with cockiness. I think we're looking at some other factor that makes us just not like these people. LeBron James okay. has gotten way more slack. I mean, way more uh, flack than flack in his career, right? And kind of similar to Cam Newton, these guys, okay. they're great, that, they're uh, revolutionizing their sports, and they've been good people that haven't really had much controversy in their private lives, but yet people yeah. are offended by them, people uh, don't like. Curry's never done one thing to have bad press. That's true. One thing to say with this, LeBron, when he left Cleveland the first time, hated because so many people. That was the way he did it. Obviously, everybody's heard it. I'm taking my talents to South Beach. And then Cam Newton, how he came into the NFL, right? Okay, that's true. He had all these legal situations. Uh, he got kicked off of Florida. So he's had some bad press. Granted, after the fact, he's been great. What he does for kids and his charitable work for Cam Newton should be a sports center special way more than it is because he's incredible with kids, the amount of stuff he does for the state of North Carolina in general. Um, a cool story. Sorry, this kind of sidetrack. With Cam Newton that way, every – so he gives a, every time he scores a touchdown, he gives a ball to a kid in the front row of the stands every single time. And so what he did for um, Super Bowl weekend or somewhere around that time is he flew out every single one of those kids that got a ball. He paid for a flight for them, and they came out to a camp, and they got to hang out and play around with each other and stuff like that for a day. Just, he just did that for fun. Like, just say, let's just do it. He's a really fun guy. He's incredible. Like, what he does – is remarkable, but I feel like what almost we're going into is topic of sports in general because every sport's different. There's all the controversy with baseball right now with the bat flip. Is that showing off? Is that showboating? And then you were talking about football dancing in the end zone. Is that showboating? Then basketball, Curry does a shimmy shake after a three. Is that showboating? It's like it's what is an acceptable line to draw, and is there different from sport to sport? I feel like there's just different communities that watch sports, and uh, I feel like. Our generation, people in their twenties and younger, aren't really offended so much by this type of by this type of stuff. Like, we get it. It's guys having fun, dancing in the end zone, dancing after they make. It's fun to watch people have fun, but then we're losing some certain things. Like, there's just this certain nobility that mm -hmm. was always kind of brought along with some more uh, gray-haired sports fans that uh, that that they've always kind of had these guys that were like role models, and you look to them, and they compose themselves in a certain manner, and now we're getting our younger generation is just kind of um, going away from that, and I think it offends people, but I, I have no idea why it doesn't offend people when Curry's out uh, dancing on the sideline compared to like when, Le when LeBron dances or when uh, Cam Newton dances in the end zone. He's, I mean, simply more likable. 
Like Curry, Curry's is extremely yeah. likable. He's never when his post game press conference, everything is always so well put together and calm and very polite to every media person. <laughs> he says the right things. He has his daughter making jokes all the time. His press conferences. I mean, he just family. Yeah, he's like guy. the model he does family. Have like a model yeah, family yeah. Guy. I honestly. I don't really like him that much. Yeah. Even LeBron has a lot of family. The mo- I love watching him play basketball, but I'm just kind of jealous of him. Yeah, that's. Just, I think that's the main reason I don't like Curry because of a jealousy standpoint. Yeah, and because I thought he wasn't going to be good, and I was wrong about that. <laughs> you guys are crazy. He's my favorite player. Yo, you thought he was going to be this good? Well, not this good. Nobody thought he was going to be an MVP, but I thought he'd be a solid player. He dominated the NCAA tournament and led Davidson by himself, pretty much. I think. It was always pretty evident that he was going to be a good player. I don't think many people really saw how far the three-point shot was going to carry in basketball. Exactly what you were talking about last and, segment. Yeah, and so, uh, and so, I mean, with how valuable that's become, like, like we weren't, we didn't all look at basketball analytics and be like, yeah, three-point shot is going to be where it's at pretty soon. But yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's remarkable. He's became one of the best players in basketball. Uh, Nike is the best player in basketball right now. Yeah, he, he offensively he's incredible. Um, defensively, they've got an incredible unit behind him that allows him to be a game changer defensively with the risks that he takes. Uh, and and everyone seems to love him except, uh, except Thomas. Okay. Yeah, I don't I don't like Curry. Well, one one quick question: We're kind of a little bit changing the subject for Rangtown. Is you take Curry, you add him to the 76ers team, and you take LeBron and add him. Um, which team is better? Wow. Because um, I'd say LeBron makes them have more wins right now than Curry does. That's that's why it's still a little bit hard for me to say Curry's the best player in the NBA. Because my thing with that is that the 76ers are not good in pretty much every position besides big men, which we're still not sold on Noel and Okafor. So you put LeBron, I feel like he... Has a little bit, I think he'd have a little bit more effect. But I feel like Curry would impact that team huge because he would cause so much attention that they would be better. But how much better would if you put LeBron? How many wins do they improve? Yeah. If you put Curry, how many wins do they improve? Bob, what do you think? You know what this argument reminds me of? Reminds me three, four years ago we were having the discussion about who's the best quarterback. We either have Manning or Brady. And back then I was hearing an argument that said. Uh, Brady is a lethal part of a system, which is what Curry reminds me of right now, whereas Manning is the system. And, mm-hmm. and so LeBron, LeBron goes to the 76ers. He, LeBron's offense is Le, like that. That's what it is. LeBron has the ball. He creates the offense. He makes the whole thing change. The Warriors have this extremely effective system. Maybe the, the best offensive team in the history of basketball right now is what we're seeing. And Curry is the focal point of that. But I'm not sure that he could establish the same type of dominance in another system. And that's not taking anything away from Curry because um, it's not an individual sport. It's a team sport. Mm-hmm. And we're looking at, at, when this is all said and done, this might go down as the best basketball team of all time, potentially. And without a doubt, Curry's the best player on that team. So he's, he's putting himself in a great position as far as like basketball yeah, I mean, if could you imagine if Curry just the exact same team catch, but Curry just goes to Seventy Sixers with their current team? Could you imagine the defensive strategies of other teams playing Curry? They would have one guy pick him up at half court and have another guy waiting for him at the three point line. 
literally they would do like a box and one, I guaranteed on him and not let him shoot threes. Because they don't, nobody else on that team is going to do anything. They might be better off with them shooting half court shots. They might be better off. Yeah. LeBron, I feel Seems like, like the better to drive through two people. That's why I think LeBron might get more wins because he could drive through two people. Whereas Curry, if he's getting picked up a half court and at three point line, I feel like the, the defense. Which one of them makes their teammates better? I feel like both of them open well, up doors for their wow. teammates and That's, improve their teammates. Both great. Yeah, yeah, but which both, which yeah. one is going to have the them? highest warp of any player in the NBA? Explain warp one. really fast because that wins not, above replacement. Wins above replacement player meaning. So if, when he's off, the number of wins that go toward his team, but him on the floor with him yeah. on the floor. So it's like a per forty-eight minute. Yeah, it's like a great stat that just shows. A lot of like the basketball analytics guys, they just like their number one stat wins above replacement. And like, is the replace the replacement player like necessarily his backup, or is it a standard average player? Is it like a, do you know? I believe it's his backup, but I'm not 100 really? positive. Which would which I would believe it's a standard player. That would make more sense because the the stat would be a lot Golden better States, if it was his average player because yeah. the uh, replacement player. It has to be an average. Just makes it too variable. I think it has to be an average player. We'll find out. Honestly, I don't know. The nitty gritty of the algorithm they have to write this. However, well, it's important if you're going to be whipping out like some random stats that no one knows about. You got to be able. To Warp know. is a big stat of basketball, anyways. But okay, agree. Call me out. That's cool. But anyway, he has the highest warp by far in the NBA right now. He, he also has the highest player efficiency, I believe, in the history of the NBA. He scores 35 points on like 17 oh. shots. It, so Curry, as Bobby and I were looking one time at player efficiency. Is number one, number two, Will Chamberlain. Um, Will Chamberlain though did not have all his stats included, so his we don't know what his actual one was. He considering he was averaging fifty points and twenty seven rebounds a game. I have a theory that he was averaging at least eleven blocks. Right. So those blocks are added in. His steals are added in. He was so much bigger and better than every other player. So, so who knows? Maybe Chamberlain has the best player efficiency of all time. We're talking about different eras now. That's a whole other topic. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, we are speaking of different topics. We are switching topics now to uh, RG three. Uh, he recently just signed with the Cleveland Browns. Rame uh, Town, what do you have to say? What do you think about this? So, for Cleveland's standpoint, I really like the signing. They signed him on a really team-friendly deal at $7.5 million on a two-year contract. That's extremely low for a quarterback. Actually, I'm not 100% sure on those numbers, but it's something close to that. It's really a team-friendly deal. But, and he was the rookie of the year. He has all this talent. If you look at him coming into the draft, he was barely below Andrew Luck. Like, he had all this talent, all this great arm strength, instincts, killed it. And Bill Polian, like a lot of players, like high GMs, thought they were neck and neck. Todd McShay thought that, Mel Kuyper thought that they had Andrew Luck a little bit higher, but not by much. And so I feel like RG3 has a lot, still has something he can prove in the NFL. And Cleveland, he's going to have no pressure. I mean, that team's awful. No pressure. They have... I feel like he's probably not going to win, especially right away, just because their offense I don't understand is, how they could possibly win. Yeah, they're, they have no weapons. They lost Travis Benjamin, their best receiver. They've lost their best offensive lineman, or second best offensive lineman in Mack, the center. Uh-huh. And... Did they keep their tackle, the all-star that, yeah, tackle? Yeah, Thomas is still there. Thomas okay. is still there, so that's big. And uh, their guard is extremely good, too, who I actually played against. But they... Uh, 
They have no weapons at all. They have Barnage. Gary Barnage, right? He's a beast. But, I mean, that's about it. But I feel like it was a good move for Cleveland because it's a low risk. Um, and he doesn't have all the responsibility. And I guarantee they're still going to draft a quarterback second overall. So he's going to be competing right away. He's not given the job. Mm-hmm. So he has to prove himself. And maybe he's a little humbled over the years. Maybe. Because he sat all last year on the bench. Yeah. And watched Kirk Cousins have a lot of success. So maybe he's humbled. Maybe he's a better team. Kirk Cousins now. is going to make twenty million dollars this year. Yeah, yeah, twenty million. And he earned it. He did. He's going to make what five times more than Robert Griffin will make. RG three will make this next yeah, year. Yeah. Then again, he just hounded me on my algorithm, so I'm not going to throw. <laughs> crazy thing. How much is Osweiler making this year? Osweiler seventeen. That's seventeen million. Did he yeah. earn it? Did Osweiler earn it? No. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Would he play seven games? Yeah, seven games. Um, He's only thrown 300 yards one, one time one in his time career. In his career. Well, the craziest, came in a loss. Yeah, the craziest NFL player I think ever is Matt Flynn. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Flynn. If you guys don't know who Matt Flynn is, so Matt Flynn former got LSU. drafted. Yeah, former LSU guy got drafted by the Packers, and he was backing up Rodgers. And in week 16 of a contract year for Matt Flynn. The Packers already clinched everything in, so Matt Flynn got thrown in there on a game that meant nothing to the Packers, and he threw for like 450 yards and six touchdowns. The Packers realized they had the two best quarterbacks. Yeah, it was it was absolutely ridiculous. Like he looked like the best quarterback in the league that week. So what does Seattle do? Seattle that offseason signs him to a huge contract, tons of guaranteed money, and you know what they do the same year? They draft Russell Wilson. So Matt Flynn never even plays for Seattle, and he's making all this guaranteed money. <laughs> and so, of course, next year, C- Seattle cuts him because they're just not going to take Russell Wilson's spot. No. And so then after that, he signs with like two or three other teams in the past couple years. And you know how much guaranteed money he's made for being a really, really below average quarterback that's barely started? Over fifty million, <laughs> so 50 million. guaranteed money. You know he called out Osweiler. Did he really? On, on Twitter, he had, he had a tweet saying like, "I know I don't have much room to speak, but Osweiler's contract is ridiculous." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How does the guy that has the most ridiculous contracts in NFL history, besides Jamarcus Russell, but that was just being the number one overall pick? Like, how does he have that? It's remarkable. I want to get back to the, talking about RG3 because I didn't really get a chance to contribute on this. And I want to point out some instances where I feel like this is less than ideal situation for RG3 and less than ideal for the Browns. Because one thing, I don't think there's any franchise in football that accepts losing. I mean, maybe I'm, I'm a Detroit Lions fan. And I know we just we just fired our general manager. We fired our head coach less than two years ago, um, Jim Schwartz. We were on the verge of firing Jim Caldwell one year after he made the playoffs. Uh, maybe the scene is different in Cleveland because their expectations might somehow be even lower than the Lions' expectations are. But I just feel like losing never helps anything. I feel like they're destined to destined to lose. He probably will be in a situation with a young quarterback playing right behind him. Um, maybe Goff or who would be a likely number two overall pick for Cleveland? Right now, it looks like Carson Wentz as a very, very, very slight edge over Jared Goff. So, scenario for you: RG three wins 
the uh, preseason battle and opens the season and starting quarterback for Cleveland Browns. How many games do they lose before fans start calling to take RG3 out saying it's his fault? Because not that it's necessarily fair, but we do blame quarterbacks for losses. Well, how is he playing as big as well? I mean, that's a big factor. I mean, a lot of times you can see maybe he's at least playing decent and their defense is giving up a lot of points and their team just looks miserable. Because you can sometimes justify the stats, but a lot of times what happens is you have a lost season, so just throw the rookie in there, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So I feel like that would be the more potential if he was playing decent. Uh, if he's playing well, I feel like they're actually might win a couple. But uh, It's been a while since he played well. It has been a while. He and, sat out a whole year. And he's got a lot of injuries. He's injury prone. He's injury prone. Can he, he might, stay in he the might, pocket more? Which I don't even know is the right thing. He might he needs not be able to stay in the pocket. He might not be able to get... He might not have the speed to maneuver the way he did when he was 22. Uh, so, I, I, in my opinion, I think RG3 will be the next on a long line of ex-Cleveland quarterbacks. From personnel standpoint, he's in a very tough situation. Very tough. Uh, especially if they draft a quarterback two overall. That's pretty tough. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, that would be a mark of confidence. Say they spend that number two overall pick on an offensive lineman or or a weapon. Yeah, we'll see what Hugh Jackson, there, the there quarterback Hugh Jackson there, does. There aren't any uh, wide receiver prospects. No, no one even close to going number two overall. No, no top five wide receiver prospects at all. I was just looking at number one. What's the number one wide receiver prospect? Uh, Laquan Treadwell's probably La- number one. Laquan Treadwell. I was looking at his combine number. Well, not his combine numbers, but at his pro day. Today. He ran like a 4.6. And a 33-and-a-half-inch So that's going to bring him down a little bit, but people knew he would be that fast. I probably a 33-and-a-half-inch vertical. We'll test that, Bob. But, uh, I bet you Thomas has one. I bet you Thomas does have one. I can jump pretty high, man. So, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go. Uh, just to clarify Robert Griffin's contract real quick. So he is making $6.75 million guaranteed. Um, so that was kind of what the numbers I was going off of. Oh, that's overall. That's his whole kind of six point okay. seven five million guaranteed. But the big thing with him, which is Cleveland structured this deal well, is it's eleven million dollars added to that to his two year contract. But it's all based on incentives. Uh huh. So he has to play well for him to get that money. So his total contract's two years, fifteen million dollars. However, the remaining of the fifteen minus six point seven five is all based on incentives. So I feel like that's that's a good deal. So. With that, I think we're about out of time, and I'd like to thank whoever out there is listening to the Ramtown Riot podcast. We really appreciate you. We hope you stay patient with us, and we appreciate all your advice on our future podcasts. Uh, We will see you next week, uh, I'm sure, with some college basketball talk and some more NBA talk coming up. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. NFL Draft Special also. See you guys for Ramtown Riot.